0: Currently, I'm a college instructor and I have designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Today, we're going to take a look at ways that we can help our kids become more resilient. Well, the summer's here, weather's nice, warm days, sometimes warm nights, cool evenings, sometimes it's beautiful. It's time for kids to be done with school, go outside and play, see their friends, go on vacation, go swimming, do all kinds of different things. You know, when I was a kid, on any given summer day, I would get my bat, my ball, my glove, and I'd go up to the field, sometimes around 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would just wait around for kids to show up. And we would choose up teams. We would base the game on how many kids we had, how many other kids showed up, We would set up a game and we would play ball all day long. I always had a couple of bucks in my pocket for a couple of hot dogs or maybe some ice cream and a soda. Back then, we're talking, you know, 50 years ago. And we would play all day and we would come home probably about eight o'clock at night nobody worried about us. Nobody was concerned about, you know, us being abducted. If we got hurt, fine. We'd figure out how to, unless we broke a bone and we wouldn't even know if we did that. We just had a great time. Were there bullies there? You bet. Did we have our share of fights? Absolutely. But nobody went home. Everybody wanted to play. We all stayed, even, even after we may have had a fight, been bullied, had a problem, we wanted to play, and that's what we did, and the next day we did the same thing, and it was one of those things that I can remember about being a kid that really meant a lot to me. It was the idea that I was on my own, we problem-solved. We handled everything. We built relationships during those times with kids that we saw in school that next school year. And sometimes we hung out at each other's houses. We talked baseball. We played baseball. We loved baseball. We all were out doing our thing. That was 50 years ago. Today... Kids come home from school, they have planned activities, they don't get outside enough, they don't, if they have a problem, they run home. And I find it amazing that the progression over a 50 year period has put kids in a position where they really don't play with each other they have play dates, they don't get outside enough. We talk about, and we have spoken about teenage obesity, diabetes, you know, and all this other stuff. But there was a natural uh, outcome from all of that. We became, we became more resilient in what we did, and once the tide started to change kids became less resilient. Everything that a kid does today, parents worry about. They don't allow kids outside, go ride your bike, go outside and play ball. I mean, we were very happy if we had a a 25 cent high bounce ball and a broom handle, we'd go and play stick ball. There's too many things today that kids have that create a sedentary lifestyle. And it's very true. Kids sit on their iPhone, their iPad, their video games. They don't even have to talk with one another because they can do it with text messaging or with social media. And I believe it's created a lack of resiliency in our kids. We had a playground in our town where kids would play, I'm talking about when I was a kid, we would fall off swings, we would fight over swings, we would have um, accidents going down the sliding board, we would go down the um, uh, get up on the monkey bars and slide down the pole, we'd whack our heads, we had all kinds of things go on. We had a merry-go-round in that town, in, in that playground, where you'd run around, you'd jump on it, you go around in circles. We had a merry-go-round in the town that I live in now as an adult about 10 years ago. And some kid fell off the merry-go-round and hit his head, and they tore down the whole playground. That's just lack of common sense and lack of any type of common wisdom because one kid falls off of a merry-go-round, they take down the whole playground. And I find it amazing that our kids don't have the capacity to problem solve. They don't have the capacity to figure out how to get along with somebody. They don't have a level of independence that's necessary, which is age-appropriate, because oftentimes parents haven't allowed it. They don't allow kids to go out. They take them everywhere. They set up play dates. They are involved in organized activities like soccer or little league, but rarely do these kids go and play on their own. And I I attribute the lack of resiliency to not allowing kids to go out and deal with other kids on their own. We live in a world with eight billion people the chances are pretty good we're going to be around people our whole lives and with that in mind we have to teach kids how to get into those relationships and deal with them independently if not they will become rather not resilient if you will and I do my digging you know and there's always something out there that Now, what's happened is we see this lack of resiliency. So people put together articles, they put together information, how to make kids more resilient. I remember 20 years ago when disrespect and irresponsibility was something that we were dealing with. Everyone was talking about how to make kids more respectful, how to make them more responsible. Well, now we've seen the result of organized play dates, video games, social media, text messaging, and basically kids being sedentary, which has produced kids that are overweight and maybe even have some medical issues. We've seen the result of it. Now people are talking about how do we make kids more resilient? My feeling is we have to gradually turn the tide, and slowly turn back the clock and let kids do things on their own. It only takes one news story, you know, of a kid being abducted or something like that that will get parents absolutely crazy and want to keep their kids in the house all the time. And I will, I will admit to you, I can be overly cautious based on the news, but I do believe that if kids can get out and they can go out and ride their bikes and hang around other kids, at that level they'll become resilient and that will follow them for the rest of their lives slowly but surely, as it did with me. It's too difficult to try and become resilient when you're 20 years old. So we have to help kids become resilient when they're younger, so they take it with them as they move forward. And I am, you know, I'm a teacher first, and I come up with, you know, I do my digging in terms of research and things like that about resiliency, and I wanted to see what some of the experts had to say on this topic, and some of the stuff was pretty good, and some of it was, you know, stuff I already knew, but on Psych Central, They had a great article. It was called 10 Tips for Raising Resilient Kids. And it was written by a gal named Margarita Tarkovsky. She has a master's degree, a master of science degree. And she wrote this article. And she called attention to some of the tips that a psychotherapist named Lynn Lyons made. Lynn Lyons uh, uh, suggested. Uh, Lynn Lyons wrote a book, Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents Seven Ways to Stop the Worry Cycle and Raise Courageous and Independent Children. And some of the stuff that's here, I mean, I can speak to very easily. She made 10 different recommendations to help raise resilient kids. And yeah, you know, I, I believe in two things. Number one, experiential opinion. And what that means is I've basically drawn my own conclusion based upon my life and my experiences. And there is another thing that's called empirical research where you go do your digging and you see what other people have to say. And I do that too. Now, there's 10 different tips here, which I find interesting and very useful for parents. And I'm going to go over them and I'm going to give my commentary on these. You know, and there are 10 things that I think we should be using some of them. But the bottom line is kids need to get outside. They need to play. They need to be over each other's house. they They need to ride bikes together. They need to do things together other than just as some, like one of my daughters once said to me, I said, what would you do with so-and-so? Oh, we hung out. Kids need to get out and do things and be almost in the fray of life in order to figure out how to be more resilient or develop greater resiliency. They're not going to do that on their own. We almost have to stage that initially, And then ultimately, they'll develop that skill on their own. So let's take a look at these 10 tips. Number one, don't accommodate every need. You know, we always want to provide a a certain level of certainty and comfort. But sometimes we get in the way of our kids being able to develop their own Problem solving and mastery. This is now Lyons. This is her language, and I'm basically paraphrasing. A child gets out of school at three fifteen, but they worry about their parents picking them up on time, so the parent arrives an hour earlier and parks by the child's classroom so they can see the the parents there. And another example. Parents let their seven-year-old sleep on a mattress on the floor in their bedroom because they're too uncomfortable to sleep in their own room. See, these, these are very small things, but they turn into bigger problems as you move forward. There's nothing wrong with having to wait a few minutes for your mom or dad to pick you up. And there's also nothing wrong with sleeping in your own room. Being afraid to sleep in your own room is not an excuse to sleep in your parents' room. But when it get when it starts to become commonplace, kids get used to it. Before you know it, they don't understand. You know that mom and dad, that bedroom is not theirs, and mom's gonna be there. Suppose mom has a flat tire. Suppose dad, you know, is late getting out of work. Now, in this age of cell phones, where everybody has one, mom or dad can call the kid and quell those quell those fears and say, I'm going to be there in a few minutes. But for a kid to get uptight about his parents being a few minutes late does not help promote resiliency. And it it certainly doesn't help a kid deal with those fears going forward. Avoid, number two, avoid eliminating all risk. You want to keep the kids safe. But when you eliminate all kinds of risk, what happens is kids don't think that uh, they, they won't take a risk with anything sometimes in, in one family it's cited here the kids aren't allowed to eat when the parents are not home because there uh, there's a risk they might choke on the food well there's a risk you could choke on the food while you're home the key is to allow appropriate risk and teach your kids essential skills and you got to start when they're young. Now, there's nothing wrong with the kid asking for permission, saying, you know, can I get some food? You know, can I have this or can I? That's, that's all well and good because you don't want the kid to raid the refrigerator and take everything out of it. But the idea that you can't have anything to eat when I'm not home. Now, maybe there's a reason for it. But the bottom line, that reason, because you're afraid of a kid choking on food, that's not a good reason. And that only creates fear in a kid. Teach them to problem solve. Two kids are fighting over a swing. My language here. When do you get involved? Yeah, It's a good question. You know, there's absolutely no reason to get involved unless a huge fight breaks out or something like that. Let them try and solve the problem on their own they have to figure out ways to do it. And you can help with that, you know, by asking them, well, how would you deal with this situation about the swing? How would you have dealt with things differently? Sometimes kids are going to blow relationships because of their inability to problem solve. They have to deal with that emotion because if they don't, they're not going to be able to deal with it when they get older. Part of the problem is we jump in too soon, which I think that's part of the reason why organized sports are not that good. We get involved too early. Leave them alone and see what happens. If it's not life-threatening and there's not a safety issue, leave them be. Let's see what happens. We have a tremendous problem with anxiety today in our kids. They don't know how to solve a problem. They get anxious when a problem comes. Sometimes they even become irresponsible. Number four, teach your kids concrete skills. Very basic. And, and, you know, I get a kick out of this. When Lyons works with kids, she focuses on the specific skills they need to learn in order to handle certain situations. She asked herself, where are we going with this situation and what skill do they need to get there? And this is a beauty. For instance, she might teach a shy child how to greet someone and start a conversation. You know, and that's very basic. And parents used to teach that skill to their kids pretty easily. You know, but the problem is parents lost the, the ability To teach it to their kids. What do you say? How do you, you know, say hi to Mr. Jones, you know, and it became this thing where kids almost became embarrassed by it. Stop asking why, start asking what. That's another good one. That's number five. But I've used this for years. When kids do things that are inappropriate and you ask them why they did it, they'll come up with an alibi. If you ask them what they did, they, there's only one place to go with that, and that's them taking full responsibility. What did you do? You left your bike outside. It rained. The fenders are going to get rusty. You left your bike outside. What do you think's going to happen? It could get stolen. Don't do everything for them and don't ask what their motive was. Let them take responsibility for all things. Or for some things initially, and then as they get older, they'll take responsibility for it all. Don't provide all the answers. Great way to look at things. Let kids figure things out on their own. Like she gives an example here. If your child asks if they're getting a shot at the doctor's office... Instead of placating them and say, I don't know, you might be due for a shot, let's figure out how you're doing to get through it. Similarly, if your child asks, am I going to get sick today? Instead of saying, no, you won't respond with, you might, so how might you handle that? This goes back to something that I've spoken about, and that is telling kids the truth. See, we, we have a tendency to withhold the truth. And by that, I mean, as a teacher, how did I do on that test? The right answer, if it's true, is you failed. And you can't withhold that because you're afraid of hurting a kid's self-esteem. Am I getting a shot at the doctors today? Yeah, you're probably going to get a shot. Why do we have to bend it and why do we have to twist it around because we're afraid of affecting the way a kid feels about himself or instilling a fear in them? Kids will appreciate it far more when you tell them the truth. And quite frankly, you're, what, you, what you're doing by lying to him in terms of a test grade or how they're doing academically is you're inflating their, the kid's view of himself academically. And as he moves forward, he's going to think he's doing far better than than he really is. And before you know it, somebody's going to tell him that you're not quite as smart as you thought you were. Avoid talking in catastrophic terms. You know, every little thing is like a big thing. Oh, my God, what's going on? This is horrible. Oh, you know, don't go, look out, watch the waves, you know, all these things... You know, everything is not catastrophic. Everything is not this huge problem. And what you say to your kids, they hear and they begin to see things as catastrophic. Let's move on. Let your kids make mistakes. You better believe it. Mistakes are part of life. Failure is not the end of the world. And don't go in and argue for your kid's weaknesses and don't go in and argue for a better grade. It's not gonna help. It's only gonna give the the kid the idea that if, you know, mom or dad'll take care of the mistake, mom or dad'll buy it out, mom or dad'll go down and pay the pay the fine, mom or dad'll help me with that DWY. They have to make mistakes and they have to pay the price when they do make a mistake, and that's just the way it goes. But too often, we get involved and we help them avoid the pain of the mistake. They never experience it. They move forward. And before you know it, those little mistakes that the kids made when they were younger become big mistakes as they get older. And guess what? They could cost mom and dad some money. Number nine, help them manage their emotions. Hey, you get upset, you get upset. You know, and the kids will learn, you know, which emotions are powerful. And they have, and we as parents and as teachers have to ride those emotions out. We can't be afraid of a tantrum. We can't be afraid of a reaction. Sometimes a confrontation is good and we have to teach kids how to have productive conflicts. And we have to teach them how to deal with things that, where they don't get their way. And when they don't like the way things are going. Because the first thing that will happen is as they get older, they'll go in and argue with their boss because they're upset about the fact that they, you know, have to take a, an assignment that they don't like or they have to work the night shift or something like that and they'll be upset about it. Go in and have an argument before you know it. They'll be looking for another job that'll probably give them the night shift too. And then, of course, as parents, we want to model resiliency. You know, and sometimes this takes practice ourselves because when you look at the intergenerational tendencies over the course of the last 40 to 50 years, you know, this lack of resiliency didn't happen overnight. And there are parents who don't have resiliency. There may be grandparents that don't have resiliency. And it's time that we we take a look at how we're doing in this area. How well we handle disappointment, how well we handle confrontation, and how well we handle problems, and how responsible we are when it comes down to dealing with some of this stuff or some of the problems that come our way. How do you make kids resilient? Hey, maybe we just should go back 50 years and let kids go outside and play. I think that would help. And also allow them to cry a little bit, get upset a little bit, deal with their emotions. And basically live life and realize that it's not perfect. Everything's not going to happen the way they want it to. And there's going to be certain people in this world that they're going to have trouble with, but they're going to have to deal with them. And they're going to have to be resilient, strong, and confident moving forward in this world. Slowly but surely. It doesn't happen overnight, but if we stay the course, kids will ultimately, maybe not in this generation, but ultimately will develop more of a resilient attitude, resilient thoughts, resilient words, resilient um, actions, and they will begin to turn the tide and handle things more appropriately and certainly more independently. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please go to my website, www.bullyproofclassroom.com. There's a whole store there. You can pick up courses there. You can buy product there. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll leave a link in my in the cor- in the episode description here. Also, for this um, podcast, in the episode description, I'm leaving a link where you can download a free unit on resiliency. So you go to the episode description, click on the the link, it'll say Free Unit on Resiliency. Click on that, and you'll be able to go right to a page where you can download that. So, my name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. And I'll see you during the next podcast. Take care, everybody.